on the subject of Christmas, there are a, a few things that we'll say at the beginning, a couple of major and preliminary things that we'll introduce. But after I do so, I will elicit the interaction of the men here to add some more scriptures. And then we'll go with um, some of the major questions that come up in relation to what Christmas is and what Christians should do in view of what it is, what the Bible actually says about it. Now, the first point we have to establish and know for certain that we are doing it according to the Word. We must do it according to the Word because the Bible itself says to do everything according to the Word. The Bible itself says not to deviate from it. And for that, let's look at a few passages. And after I introduce these few, if there's another passage or two, please add to it. The first one is from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Or 1 and 2. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. And now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, in order that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Deuteronomy 12, 32. Deuteronomy 12, 32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to, nor take away from it. Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, verses, actually before Isaiah, let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 30, 30 verses 5 and 6, 30 verse 5. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. Isaiah 8, 19. Isaiah 8, 19 to 22. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. And they will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Matthew 15, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, 1 to 14. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father or mother, Anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. 4, 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written, in order that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. And Revelation 22. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. 22, 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. In all of these passages we have seen, the emphasis on doing and believing, obeying whatever is in the word of God, and not deviating from it to the right or to the left, adding or taking away from any of it. Don't exceed what is written. Don't follow the traditions of men. Correct? That has been established. Now, if there's another passage or two somebody wants to add, feel free to mention. Okay, then, having said that, now we, I would like to read a summary of what Christmas is, and I'm reading from a, a, a dictionary or encyclopedia called the Zondervan Pictorial Bible, uh, in Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible, okay? And I'm reading their entry on Christmas. Let me read it, and this will spur our thinking as to what we're talking about. And then from this, we'll go on to specific questions and seek to answer those questions and find biblical answers. Their entry on Christmas. Christmas, the traditional anniversary of the birth of Jesus Christ. Most Protestants and Roman Catholics observe this anniversary on December 25th. Eastern Orthodox and Armenian churches Observe Christ's birth either on December 25th or January 6th. Neither the term Christmas, and then they say in parentheses, a derivative of Christ plus Mass, M-A-S-S, Christ plus Mass, M-A-S-S, Christmas, and the last S, the second S is dropped out in the compound Christmas, Okay. He, they say, and this author, his name is G, initial G, Lambert. He says, neither the term Christmas, 
a derivative of Christmas Mass, nor the actual celebration of the anniversary of the birth of Christ is recorded in the Bible. Okay, that's an admission, and everybody must admit that, correct? Okay. Early Christians did meet regularly to commemorate the death, resurrection, and promised return of Christ. And then he has 1 Corinthians 11, 20 to 34. What's in 1 Corinthians 11, 20 to 34? He says, they met regularly to commemorate the death, resurrection, and promised return of Christ. What is in 1 Corinthians 11? The Lord's Supper. The love feast and Lord's Supper are mentioned in 11, 20 to 34. He doesn't say which day they met. He just says they uh, did meet regularly to do so. Um, Authorities are not agreed concerning the precise date of Christ's birth. Neither is there agreement concerning the time at which the celebration of Christmas actually began in the churches. Clement of Alexandria, he was a pastor in Alexandria, Egypt. Clement of Alexandria, toward the close of the 2nd century A.D. Close of the 2nd century means about A.D. 200. Cites diverse views concerning the date of Christ's birth among early churchmen. Some believe that his early reference to the remembrance of Christ's baptism by John the Baptist among the Basilidans included a joint observance remembering both his baptism by John and his birth. Since early churchmen in the East seemed to believe that Christ's baptism and birth were on the same calendar dates. Same calendar dates, they believed. By the end of the 4th century, that would be about AD 400, the Eastern churches had adopted special services commemorating jointly the birth of Christ, the adoration of the Magi, and Christ's baptism by John. Apparently, these services were held at first on January 6th, but later were divided between December 25th and January 6th. Augustine points to the prevailing tradition in the 5th century among Western churches concerning the birth of Christ and the observance of Christmas. Augustine was, he died about AD 430, something like that. He says, quote, For he, that is Christ, is believed to have been conceived on the 25th of March, upon which day also he suffered. His conception day and his crucifixion day, the, a lot of Christians believe was the same date, the 25th of March. But he was born according to tradition upon December the 25th, nine months later. Unquote. It is probable that diverse traditions in the early church regarding the precise time of Christ's conception led to the differences of dating for Christmas observances in the East and West. As early as AD 336, 
The observance of Christmas on December 25th was widespread among Western churches. About 300 years after the first coming of Christ, he says it was widespread among Western churches. Today, in most Western churches, the observance of Christmas emphasizes the immediate events surrounding the birth of Christ. While most Christians do not attempt to be dogmatic about the precise date of Christ's birth, it is now traditional to observe the 25th of December in memory of his coming into the world. During the period dating from the earliest general celebrations of Christmas, numerous customs have been introduced into the event. Originally, it appears that a special religious ceremony marked the occasion. Gradually, a number of the prevailing practices of the nations into which Christianity came were assimilated and were combined with the religious ceremonies surrounding Christmas. The assimilation of such practices generally represented efforts by Christians to transform or absorb otherwise pagan practices. The Feast of Saturnalia in early Rome, and this would be because Saturn is a god or goddess, okay? The Feast of Saturnalia in early Rome, for example, was celebrated for seven days from the 17th to the 24th of December and was marked by a spirit of merriment, gift-giving to children and other forms of entertainment. Gradually, early Christians replaced the pagan feast with the celebration of Christmas, but many of the traditions of this observance were assimilated and remain to this day a part of the observance of Christmas. Other nations, the, Scand the Scandinavians, Germans, French, English, and others have left their mark on the observance as well. Some groups refrained from celebrating Christmas on the grounds that the introduction of of pagan practices has destroyed the original significance of the occasion. They cite the use of Christmas trees and the Yule log, among other things, as examples of the paganization of Christmas. Yet many Christians contend that such practices no longer bear pagan connotations and believe that the observance of Christmas provides an opportunity for worship and witness-bearing. Yes, that's what everybody says, but who's really taking the worship and witness-bearing seriously? Uh, if, if I may say, there's one more short paragraph here that, that will also need comment, but when you walk into a house with a Christmas tree, you walk into a friend's house, a neighbor's house, a co-worker's house, you walk into a house with a Christmas tree, does the homeowner, the host, say, hey friend, welcome, Merry Christmas, and do you know what Christmas is all about? Do you know why we have a Christmas tree? The evergreen Christmas tree represents eternal life. Did you not know that? Let me tell you all about it. Do you believe in Jesus Christ for your eternal life? Who does that? How about Christmas lights? Yeah, Jesus is the light of the world, that's why we have Christmas lights. So when he says here, some Christians, or that this is most Christians actually, most Christians say it's an opportunity for worship and witness-bearing. 
Hogwash. Hogwash. They don't really do, do that. Nobody does that. I've never had anybody do that in my past. Never. Anybody. Okay. Then, the last paragraph. And be careful now. Listen carefully. The biblical emphasis connected with the birth of Jesus Christ is evidenced by adoration and worship. Luke 2, 8 to 12. What is in Luke 2, 8 to 12? He says, the biblical emphasis connected with the birth of Jesus Christ is evidenced by adoration and worship. Is that correct? Luke 2, 8 to 12. Was there an emphasis on adoration and worship? I heard a story about this. Can you read it? Uh, read Luke 2, 8 to 12. Uh, and in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there appear with... Okay. Okay, 8 to 12. Yes. Okay, so what's happening in that passage? He says it's adoration and worship. Is that correct? They're not? No. What are they doing? What? What are they doing? They were working. Watching their flock. Yes. Yeah. That, that's what the people were doing, but is there any adoration or worship? How about the angels? The angels make an announcement. Okay, then the giving of, he's, this is, I'm reading this book, I'm almost done. The giving of gifts to God. Matthew 2, 1 to 11. The giving of gifts to God. Is that happening? Go ahead. Matthew 2, Matthew 2, 1 to 11. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, uh, land of Judah are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them, until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. All right, he says here, the giving of gifts to God. Did they give gifts to God? Okay, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, now this is used as justification. That's what this author is doing too. That used as justification, the Magi gave gifts to Jesus, God in human flesh. Therefore, we give gifts to one another. What is the logical connection? Shouldn't if, if they gave gifts to Jesus of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, then how are we going to give gifts to God? Are we going to give gold, frankincense, and myrrh? And if we don't give gold, frankincense, and myrrh to God, and we give some other kind of gift, let's say it's a monetary gift to God. We give a monetary gift to God. How are we going, going to give it to God? He says here, to God. But what do people do today? To each other. Not to God. They give it to each other. The way he's using it as a justification doesn't match the actual practice today. And then the people that are receiving the gifts are considered a god in the way that they are adored, especially if it's grandchildren. <laughs> right? Okay. Who can do no wrong. They're perfect. All grandchildren are perfect. They are never spanked. Right? <laughs> They're never disciplined. So they are perfect. They are angelic and holy. Um, so in that way, they're treating them like God. Okay, then the third expression, and he says, and expressions of peace and goodwill. He says, the biblical emphasis with the birth of Jesus Christ is expressions of peace and goodwill. The proof, Luke 2, 13 and 14. Luke 2, 13 and 14. Mr. Belines, Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Okay, the key phrase where he says peace and goodwill. This author in the encyclopedia, he's saying expressions of peace and goodwill, meaning generally speaking, universally speaking, we wish everybody peace and goodwill, based on Luke 2, 13 and 14. Is that what Luke 2, 13 to 14, is that what it's teaching? No? What is it teaching? What's it teaching? Of those who he is pleased with. Yes. It's teaching a specific, a special, uh, narrow wish of peace and goodwill toward the ones who are at peace with God, with whom he is pleased. Those with whom he is pleased. Which means it's towards the elect, the people of God, the saved. Yes. In Spanish, there's a song, Christmas song. 
but they have changed the last one where it says, with whom he is pleased, uh, those whom he loves. That's how it goes. Okay. That's the exact word. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men. Yeah, to those whom he loves. That's how they have changed this Bible verse. In Spanish, it means he loves everybody. Yes. I see. Because he says, peace on earth, those whom he loves. I see. Well, uh, we found, Pastor Jackson and I found, that the King James Version and the New King James Version has given credibility to the universal goodwill or peace of God. It's the King James Version and the New King James Version. However, the NIV, New International Version, the NASB, New American Standard Bible, the uh, English Standard Version, ESV, the Christian Standard Bible, CSB, all of these are similar like the NASB saying that this is for the elect, it's not for every person. But generally at Christmas time, they say, peace to everybody, because God loves everybody. Peace to everybody, because God loves, God is pleased with everybody. Okay, now this article in the encyclopedia will bring up many questions. So, these were a couple of initial things we wanted to say first. Then, now we have to get to specific questions. And shall we go one at a time? Unless somebody here wants to say something. Uh, yes? Just a comment on that first uh, claim of uh, Luke 2, 8 through 12, adoration and worship. Yes. You could maybe say in verse 14, the angels are, give, are giving adoration and worship in some way, but... Yes, actually, that's true. But he did, he only cited it 8 to 12. He said, adoration and worship, Luke 2, 8 to 12. Right. And then he went to peace and goodwill to verses 13 and 14. Right. This is a scholar. A scholar writing in this encyclopedia. Not being careful with the Holy Scriptures. He's not being careful. Okay, um, we, these are some of the questions we have to answer. Is the birth of Jesus Christ commemorated in the Bible? Not is it announced... Yes, we just read Luke 2, Matthew 2. It is announced, but is it commemorated? Is it remembered on a regular day, annually? Is there any example of that in the Bible? Yes or no? No, it is not. There is no example. And even here, he says that it's not recorded in the Bible. He says, the actual celebration of the anniversary of the birth of Christ is not recorded in the Bible. Okay? I, I'm paraphrasing his statement there, but that's what he said. 
Do you remember he said that? So even the scholar who got some things right and some things wrong, he says it's not recorded in the Bible. So we don't have the Christians doing it for us to imitate them. Then the next question, do we have a commandment in the Bible that we ought to do it? If the practice is not there to commemorate, to remember, to celebrate, is there a commandment that says that we ought to celebrate it? No. It's not there either. There's no denying that. There is no commandment to do that. So if there's no commandment to do it, then we are in jeopardy of adding a tradition of men. Correct? We are in danger of adding a tradition of men. And we read from Deuteronomy to Revelation some verses that warn us not to do that. Especially Matthew 15 uses that phrase, the traditions of the elders. And when the traditions of the elders come up, then there's the danger that they certainly do, no matter what people say, they certainly do contradict the Bible. Okay, another question or point to make. Um, What about the other events of the life of Christ? What about the other events of the life of Christ? Why don't we celebrate the birth announcement? Why don't we celebrate the conception of Christ? Why do we not celebrate the baptism of Christ? How about, actually before that, how about when he was 12 years old in Luke 2, when he was 12, his uh, discussion with the teachers in the temple. That was significant enough that Luke recorded it, and it was significant enough for us to note the way he was when he was only 12 years old. So why do we not commemorate that? How about some of the significant miracles that occurred in his life? What about the cleansing of the temple? What about the Mount of Transfiguration? What about the feeding of the 5,000? Why don't we remember all those? Right? Aren't those important? Yes. What about the, the ascension of Christ? Why are we universally not celebrating the ascension of Christ. Why are we not celebrating the day of Pentecost? Um, why are we not celebrating, as, as the Catholics and the Orthodox do, other denominations will celebrate the, the baptism of Christ by John the Baptist? Why not celebrate also the birth of John the Baptist? What about celebrating events related to the life of Mary? And on and on. Do you understand? Why are we only focused on 
the birth of Christ. Why is that the main annual holiday worldwide in Christianity? And it spills over into other religions too. Hindus will celebrate it. Some Muslims will recognize it. Even atheists will do some things. They'll go along with it. They'll do some things on Christmas. So, why on Christmas? So what's the impetus? Somebody answer that. Why is the world focused on Christmas? There's no... It doesn't bring up sin, why Jesus had to die. Okay, it doesn't bring up sin, why Jesus had to die. What else? You get off work, and there's all sorts of fun things to do. Yes, you get off work, and there are fun things to do, and everybody's doing it. That's the third thing I was going to say. I think that's the main impetus. The main force behind it is that it's uh, everybody's doing it, and everybody's doing it in fun. So why do you want to put a damper on the fun? Why do you want to extinguish the fire of fun? That's really what it is. Because if, if everybody made another day a big day, then they would. A bigger day than Christmas. And why is it that that is the biggest day of the year and not His crucifixion or not His resurrection? They try to hijack that too, but still it doesn't overtake Christmas. Christmas is the king of all holidays, Christian holidays. Correct? Okay. So the the people practicing this are doing it arbitrarily. They're not doing it thinking about it. They're doing it because of pleasure, fun, and practical reasons. They're doing it for those reasons. They're not doing it for the sake of worshiping God or pleasing God remembering God, (coughs) preaching the gospel. They're not preaching the gospel. And whatever gospel they're preaching is a false gospel in most places. Okay. Having said that, we... the, The fact that it's called Christmas, shouldn't that cause us to hesitate at least to think about it, because this author, and he's not the only one, it's universally recognized that it's a combination of Christ and Mass. Uh, The Mass uh, is a celebration of the Eucharist, a celebration of the body and blood of Christ being transformed, transubstantiated from being regular bread, regular wine, to literal body and blood of Christ. That's what the Mass is. Okay? It's the celebration of the bread and the cup being literally the body and the blood of Christ. So it is a Christ Mass focused on the birth of Christ. And whose holiday is it therefore? It's a Catholic holiday. Do we believe like the Catholics believe? Then why are we celebrating it the way they do? And whatever. In many ways we are. Why do it? 
And if we do it on that day, well, some of these other holidays or uh, events in the life of Christ, you know who celebrate them? Who? Catholics. The Catholics do. Uh, his ascension and other things, his baptism, they, all, they celebrate all of these other holidays. So why are we not celebrating them along with the Catholics? Who said we should do the birth, but not these other ones? If we're going to do them, let's just do, let's just do all of them and be Catholics. Let's just close the church here and be, all, all join the local Catholic church. Midlothian Roman Catholic Church. Let's just join it. Be, let's be Catholics, right? Um, the other matter is the, the dates. The dates that they give Though we don't have certainty, there is general proximity and likelihood, okay? But the issue is not so much historically can we prove it, because even if we could prove that Jesus was born on the 25th of December, or the 1st of January, or the 31st of March, even if we could prove anything like that, the Bible still doesn't give us an example of Christians commemorating those things, nor does it give us a commandment to commemorate those things. That means that the date it's, uh, issue is not a major issue. It's not really a relevant issue. It's more for our curiosity than it is for knowing biblical truth. It's more for historical curiosity, the date itself. Okay, then, shall we move on to... Is there something more before we move on to what uh, Calvin thought? Because w when we go and read what Calvin thought, it's going to then go take us into the realm of should, should we observe it or should we not? And how did he handle it? And did he handle it correctly or incorrectly? What were the things going on in his mind? And he's just an example, but he's just a human example, but he is the main influence of the Reformed movement in the 1500s. Yeah. And he was pushing back against Catholicism. Yeah, and he was fighting Catholicism. Catholicism. Yes. And he wasn't afraid to tell it as it is. Usually he wasn't afraid to tell it as it is. Okay? So, here are a few things. Shall we start reading now? Do you want me to read Yes. Um... There are uh, a few excerpts from his letters and commentaries or sermons that we would like to read that will open the door for us to discuss, practically speaking, then what are we supposed to do or how should we look at things? We've seen that there's no biblical basis for it, but let's see how he approached it and whether he was correct or not. The first has to do with um, him preaching a sermon and noticing that the church building was full, or it had more people there than usual, okay? Way back in the 1500s, 500 years ago this was going on, okay? And it was on Christmas Day. It was on Christmas Day, so it happened to be on the Lord's Day, uh, maybe 1551? 1551. F 1551, uh, the 25th happened to be on the Lord's Day, and that's important too because he has some comments to make about the 25th of December, and Lord's Day, and even the Lord's Supper. Okay? So go ahead. Okay. 
<clears throat> says, now I see here today more people than I'm accustomed to having at the sermon. Why is that? It is Christmas Day. And who told you this, you poor beast? This is a fitting euphemism for all of you who have come here today to honor Noel. Do you think that you would be honoring God? Consider what sort of obedience to God your coming displays. In your mind, you are celebrating a holiday for God, or turning today into one, but so much for that. In truth, as you have often been admonished, it is good to set aside one day out of the year in which we are reminded of all the good that has occurred because of Christ's birth in the world, and in which we hear the story of his birth retold, which will be done Sunday. But if you think that Jesus Christ was born today, you are as crazed as wild beasts. For when you elevate one day alone for the purpose of worshiping God, you have just turned it into an idol. True, you insist that you have done so for the honor of God, but it is more for the honor of the devil. Let us consider what our Lord has to say on the matter. Was it not Saul's intention to worship God when he spared Agag, king of the Amalekites, along with the best spoils of, in the cattle? He says as such, I want to worship God. Saul's tongue was full of devotion and good intention, but what was the response he received? You soothsayer, you heretic, you apostate, you claim to be honoring God, but God rejects you and disavows all that you have done. Consequently, the same is true of our actions. For no day is superior to another. It matters not whether we recall our Lord's nativity on a Wednesday, Thursday, or some other day. But when we insist on establishing a service of worship based on our whim, we blaspheme God and create an idol, though we have done it all in the name of God. And when you worship God in the idleness of a holiday spirit, that is a heavy sin to bear, and one which attracts others about it, until we reach the height of iniquity. Therefore, let us pay attention to what Micah is saying here, that God must not only strip away things that are bad in themselves, but must also eliminate anything that might foster superstition. Once we have understood that, we will no longer find it strange that Noel is not being observed today, but that on Sunday we will celebrate the Lord's Supper and recite the story of the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. But all those who barely know Jesus Christ, or that we must be subject to him, and that God removes all those impediments that prevent us from coming to him, these folk, I say, uh, will at best grit their teeth. They came here in anticipation of celebrating a wrong intention, but will leave with it wholly unfulfilled. Uh, excuse me, I was incorrect. When he, I said it was on a Sunday, it was one other day of the week that was on Christmas, but they had services or Bible studies regularly throughout the week, and that's what he's referring to, that, okay, on the Lord's Day, we're going to talk about the Lord's nativity, His birth, but... You think that this day is a special day. That's why a bunch of you have shown up to church. Yeah. Okay, so what do we conclude from this? What did he think? What did he believe? And was he correct? It's an idol. It's an idol? And why is it an idol? It's a creation of man. Okay, so it's a creation of man. The observance of it is a creation of man. Man is choosing how he wants to worship God. Man is choosing how he wants to worship God instead of God instructing us, commanding us how to worship him. What else? Well, 
they're doing something on this particular day that they're not doing regularly throughout the rest of the year. Correct. They're not coming to worship Him on the Lord's Day. On the Lord's Day. But then they're doing it on this day. They're doing it on that day. And usually more people come on the Lord's Day than a midweek meeting. And they had meetings throughout the week on different days and different places. So they showed up in the middle of the week, not on the Lord's Day, in the middle of the week, not because they wanted to worship God, ostensibly to worship God, but really it was Christmas and they came for superstitious reasons. I need to do my part at least once a year on this big day, so I'm I'm going to go find a church and show up. So they're not going on the Lord's Day. Okay, and what about the Lord's Supper? What was he saying and meaning about the Lord's Supper? For most of you, you're hearing this for the first time, but Pastor Jackson, what did he mean about that? He's not going to serve the Lord's Supper in this service on Christmas Day, but he is going to serve it on the Lord's Day. Yes. And then he'll talk about the birth of Christ on the Lord's Day and serve the Lord's Supper. Okay. not doing it on this day. And why did he not want to serve the Lord's Supper on the 25th of December, Christmas Day? Why? Well, it wasn't their custom to take it every day. They took it on the Lord's Day. So we're not going to make this day a special occasion. We're not going to make it a special... Because it's the uh, day of, of the Lord's birth. Yeah. The so-called... Uh, or the... Yes, and because, and because the Catholics designated it as a special uh, mass and a special feast day. So because they did it and they're going to serve their communion or Eucharist on that day, because, because they do it doesn't mean we should do it. We should do it uh, on the Lord's Day. Okay. Um, and then what about the way he addressed the people? Uh, in, in reference to the subject... Um, how is he, or was he different than a modern pastor? Well, I call him crazed beast. Mm-hmm. Most people won't do that. Yes, and, and he did not it. flattering them. It's not flattering them. And, and he did it to people he did not know who just showed up. Mm-hmm. What's the opposite that we do today? We cater to them. We, to them. we bend over backwards because we want them to come back. Well, he wasn't concerned about that. Okay. Okay, yes, you wanted to say? Um, he did, however, say that the nativity would be read on the Lord's Day. Okay. So, what's he doing there? Yes, so for, you have another quote, because he explains himself, or you want to just say what he believed about this. Remember that the liberty part? Remember he said liberty in observation, in worship, but you don't have to do it? Okay, Uh, let me summarize. There's another quote, and he may find it, um, where Calvin says, there is no commandment to do it, but But we are at liberty if we want to focus on a certain aspect of our Lord's life, His crucifixion, His resurrection, His return, 
he doesn't mention all these examples, but this is what he means. He says, if you want to focus on the birth of Christ on a particular Lord's Day to teach the people about it and its significance, then fine, go ahead and do it. And if you want to do it around the time everybody's thinking about it, then fine, go ahead and do it, but you don't have to do it. But when people say you have to do it, and if you don't do it, then you are displeasing to God, you're not following the Word of God, then you have obligated them to observe something that the Bible does not tell us it's our obligation to observe. And therefore, it becomes a human invention. So he, he is against insisting on a human invention, but he's not against using the opportunity to talk about the subject. If you want to talk about the subject. But if you don't want to talk about the subject around Christmas time on the Lord's Day, then don't talk about it. Just move on and talk about whatever or preach whatever you've been preaching. In the, in the city council in Geneva, they had banned observance of Christmas and Calvin opposed them on that. Okay. Now, before Calvin went to the city of Geneva, Switzerland, before he went there, he actually was put under a curse to stay there. It was this William Farrell, wasn't it? This William Farrell... F-A-R-E-L. Um, he was a reformer also, but he doesn't get any attention. And he was there in Geneva, reforming and preaching against the Catholics. And Calvin wanted to pass through and move on and go and quietly study in a secluded place and write books and not be a pastor, not be in the middle of controversy. He didn't want to do any of that. But when Calvin went through Geneva... William Farrell put him under a curse. Uh, I don't remember the exact words of the curse. Do you remember any elements? I don't of remember it? the exact words, but he, he put him under a curse because he, he needed help. Yes. And told him, if you go to Strasbourg, then God's going to curse you. Yes, I, I, I call on God to curse you. If you leave me here, I need your help. We need your help. You need to stay here. And if you don't stay here... I am, I have, I'm praying a curse on you if you leave. And that terrified John Calvin so much that he stayed there in Geneva. But before Calvin arrived there and stayed there, William Farrell and others had convinced the city council and others to ban every single Catholic holiday. And so they had banned it. They had banned Christmas throughout. But William Farrell didn't even want what Calvin said, that is, well, if you want to talk about uh, the nativity and have uh, some, some worship on your own, you're, you are at liberty to do that. He wasn't opposed, uh, Calvin wasn't opposed to doing that. Um, so he thought that the council was too strict under Pharrell, Pharrell's influence. I have that quote here. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Yes. <clears throat> he says, this is Calvin, since my recall from Strasbourg, I have pursued the moderate course of keeping Christ's birthday as you are used to doing. Uh, there were even extraordinary days of prayer on other days. The shops were shut in the morning and everyone returned to his individual calling <clears throat> after dinner. There were, however, in the meanwhile, certain inflexible individuals who did not comply with a common custom 
for, uh, from some perverse malice or other. Let me say this, that if I had gotten my choice, I should not have decided in favor of what has now been agreed upon. There is no reason why men should be so much provoked if we use our liberty as the edification of the church demands. It seems that when he says that, he's saying, Pharrell and others wouldn't even allow you to talk about the birth of Christ when it was on everybody's mind. And, the, because, and if you were to do that, then that would be idolatry. You're a Catholic. But he's, Calvin's saying, well, if you want to talk about it because it's on everybody's mind, if you want to teach on it, then go ahead. But you don't have to teach on it. These days, actually, pastors, Protestant pastors, are, they feel like they are obligated to teach on it because it's the time. So they're not at liberty because they, if they said no, then there would be an uprising in the church. You didn't even say anything about Christmas. You didn't say anything about the birth of Christ. The first Easter I was at, Morning Star, I was criticized because I preached from Nahum chapter 3 instead of preaching an Easter sermon. So that was one of the criticisms. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's all on that? Yeah. Okay, then... That's all on that, those matters. Then, what about the traditions or the practices, practically speaking, that are done at this time? Lights, Christmas trees, gift giving, Christmas parties. What else happens? Oh, yeah. Drinking and eating. Yeah, in one of these, um, somebody mentioned gluttony and drunkenness. Yeah. Spurgeon, yeah. He said, yeah, he was against it. But, but Spurgeon, he, he said one thing and it sounded good, and then another thing that sounded the opposite and neutralized or destroyed what he said. So he, he's, uh, he was a double talker. Um, is that all? Okay, so what does the Bible say? Santa Claus. Oh, Santa Claus. Sorry, Santa Claus. Santa Claus, reindeer. Singing. What's that? Snowmen. Singing carols. Singing carols. Or whatever. Oh yeah, so Elf on the shelf. Elf on the shelf. All the decorations. Okay. Christmas decorations. So what do we say about all that? What's that? Trash. Trash. Okay, now why? Why is all of that trash? What's the biblical justification for that? Worldly John says, First John 2.15 Not of the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away on also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides for it. Okay, so it's things of the world. Mm -hmm. So why 
adopt the things of the world. Be, but the, the claim is, it's Christian. All the Christians are doing it. It's Christian. It's not of the world. But how do we answer them when they say it's Christian, not of the world? It's not in the Bible. That's the whole point. It's not in the Bible. It originated with Catholic traditions, but it's, and it's not in the Bible. They cannot prove it's in the Bible. Even Catholics will say it's not in the Bible. That's why they love their Catholic traditions, to add to the Bible, to equalize their traditions with the Bible. They say it's on an equal level, but really the traditions smother the Bible. Just like Matthew 15, the traditions of the elders negate and smother the commandments of God. And even Jesus said, you do not allow them to honor their father or mother. He says you don't allow, with your traditions. The moment the tradition of man crops up like a weed, inevitably it's going to undermine the Word of God. No matter how much people protest. Like the example I said of the Christmas tree. The moment you put it up, it gets all the attention and all of the presents under the tree. And nobody's talking about the gospel. I never had anybody preach the gospel based on the Christmas tree. Mistletoe is another one. Oh, mistletoe. Yes. yes. Um, but wasn't it mentioned in the dictionary also the whole reason why Christmas was uh, became a thing it was the Catholics were trying to form a rivalry against the, the pagan customs. The pagan custom. So and, and adopt and assimilate. Yeah, so the people would be more on the Catholic side and have more control over the people. Eventually. Yes. That's the only reason why it's there. Yes. Yes. So just, be, I mean, just that fact should make you not want to participate in it at all. Yes, yes. Um, th- this is a question we have to ask not only on this subject, but uh, there's something called uh, contextualization. In, in missionary work, missiologists, that is, experts on, on doing missions, they have something called contextualization. And you can contextualize yourself to the culture you are evangelizing on a scale of one to five. That is, if you go to a culture, let's say we all go to Mexico, to what extent can we adopt the customs of Mexico? That's the question that's a theoretical question, but it's also very practical. It's theoretical in the classroom because they're teaching the students to, to what extent. So a, a one, let, let's say, use two extremes, number one and number five. Number one, the least contextualization. Let's say the least is you learn Spanish and you eat Mexican food. You eat, you eat um, Mexican food and you learn Spanish. Let's say that's a number one for contextualization. Let's say a number five is, well, you know the, the Mexicans are Catholics, and in, actually they also have Aborigines, uh, Aboriginal tribes that live there. So we should go to their places of worship 
as friends, make friends with them and go to their places of worship and sit with them and worship as they worship. And then whatever their holidays, let's do what, whatever, practice whatever holidays they have. Let's go along with it. We, after all, it's friendship evangelism, relational evangelism, which is a, a doctrine of evangelism and missiology. They call it that, friendship evangelism. So make friends, and even religiously. And that, we're talking about Mexico, so if this were in India, you, you know what they would say? Go to the Hindu temple. Go to the Muslim mosque. Bow down with the Muslims. Use a prayer rug like the Muslims do. And pray five times a day with them, but pray to Jesus and teach them to pray to Jesus. Like that. In the mosque or wherever they do it, five times a day. So that would be a number five in terms of contextualization. And what is the general tendency, knowing from the Bible and your knowledge of history? What do Christians typically do? In the Bible and throughout history. Number five. Typically, they do number five. Isn't that the problem of Israel in the land of Canaan? They adopted the customs of the Canaanites instead of holding the line and keeping separated from them and teaching the Canaanites to repent and believe the gospel. Instead of doing that, they said, oh yeah, Canaanites, you're, you're my friend, yeah, and then they make partners, and then they also intermarry, and they do all kinds of things with the Canaanites. Oh, let me worship your gods too. Let me see how they worship their gods so that I might do likewise. Moses even warned them not to do that. Don't say that, don't do that. Yet that's what we do. And this is in the history of the Bible and in Christian history after the Bible, the New Testament. Even today, you know that. You know that that's the case with uh, our so-called Christian family and friends and co-workers. That's what they do. All right, then if we ought to avoid, then what do we do when people ask us to participate? What biblical verses apply to those who invite us to participate in their Christmas celebrations? What should we do? In Daniel, when he was taken to uh, by the king and he didn't even want to eat their food. And he said, the king also tried them to make them bow down to his God and they said no. Uh, they learned the language, right? Of the yeah, he learned the language. Yes. Yeah. He, so he believed in uh, number, number one. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. This is Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one. We we'll read uh, starting at verse three. One three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence to every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature 
and language of the Chaldeans. Five. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshech, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And we know later that God orchestrated the hearts of these men and the health of Daniel and his friends to be favorable so that Daniel was not forced to eat the king's choice food or drink the wine which he drank. And here it has to do with the likelihood that the food was, food and the wine were likely uh, both unclean and offered to idols. Offered to idols is likely the case because it was not forbidden to drink wine. It was not forbidden to drink wine, so the idolatrous aspect of it is a factor here. Um, look at Daniel 10.3. Daniel 10.3. He was not forbidden to eat meat or drink wine, and we notice this from 10.3. Not forbidden by God. 10.3. I did not eat. After he saw a vision, and he was alarmed and troubled, and he wanted to know the meaning of it, he does this in Daniel 10.3. I did not eat any tasty food, or did eat, or did meat or wine enter my mouth? Nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. No tasty food, no meat, no wine, no ointment for three weeks, until the entire three weeks were completed. So when it was idolatrous. He said, no thank you, to the king's choice food and the wine. <coughs> Any others? Any other examples of the people of God refusing or saying no thank you? Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter fourteen six. to eighteen. 18. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
This would be like 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Speaking that uh, of the fact that we should keep away from these people and the things that they do. Okay, then based on Daniel 1, if somebody invites us, what should we do? There's so many different ways you can break it down. That's the thing. Because all these fall under the category within these verses. But then you have to explain individually why to the so inviter yeah, to the yes. why so many of the traditions are wrong yes but at least you can seek for permission to be excused yeah like Daniel did seek for permission to be excused um, and, and then if you have opportunity to explain yourself then explain yourself Also, the sooner you do it, the better, so that um, expectations don't rise up and you suddenly say, okay, no, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. The sooner you say it, the better. The sooner you explain, the better. So that there's no surprises and people aren't shocked. Are there examples in the Bible of anybody refusing a gift? Are there examples in the Bible of Abraham? Okay, Abraham, Genesis 14. Genesis 14. 21 to 24. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Genesis 14:21 to 24. <clears throat> the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear that you would say, I have made Abraham, Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Anur, Eskel, Mamre, let them take their share. Okay, in this case, was the king of Sodom a, a good or evil man? Evil. Evil. And Abraham didn't want to take the gift of the evil man. So that's based on his character. He didn't want to take it. But in terms of do, Abraham could have taken it, right? Mm -hmm. It was due to Abraham because this was a war and they were victorious, so he could have done it. But he chose not to do it from this evil man because he didn't want the evil man to say, he made Abraham rich. That's something you could use to, as a reason not to study something like the nativity in 
on that Lord's Day when it falls close to Christmas. <clears throat> because you would be putting the right, wrong idea in people's mind. people's mind. Yeah, study it some other day. Right. Wait a month or do it a month beforehand or whatever. Yeah. Do it in the summer. But that's Abraham's mindset here as to why he's not taking that gift, even though he had the option. He didn't, want, to he didn't want any he association. Didn't want the wrong mindset in this person. First Corinthians 10, 27, 28. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 27. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Please read, 27 and 28. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. And this means what? That's what Mikael was saying about um, not studying the nativity close to Christmas Day. Um, because to the weak, the weak brother or to the idolater, you're, it's a sign of you condoning their um, worship. Their worship. Okay, and would that relate to gift giving? It's not wrong to give a gift to one another, right? Right. But why is it done then? Yeah. It's done then because of Christmas. Right. And even if you did it the day before or a week later, it's still that season and people are thinking, well, the only reason you're giving me something has to do with Christmas. You just chose not to give it on the day. But if you like your friend or relative so much, then just give him a gift on some other day. Give it to him on the 30th of February. <laughs> was trying to Simon the magician was trying to bribe Peter uh -huh. try to give him money and Peter say may your silver silver perish okay let's read that first and then see its its implication Acts chapter 8 the book of Acts chapter 8 Acts 8 Would you like to read it, please? Okay. Eight, eight, nine to 24. Acts 8, 9 to 24. <clears throat> now there was a man named Simon who, was for, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. As he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 
for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Okay, and what's the point from here? So well, they try to bribe uh, Peter with money. I try to buy the Holy Spirit with money. Okay, so he wants the favor of God with money by offering money. That's they do something similar to this in the sense with the, whatever local church there is, they'll attend it on that Christmas service and then the gifts are like for their family or whatever, I'm a good dad, I'm a good father, I buy stuff for my kids, things like that and then they do all these things. It's, it's for more. <coughs> it's good, that's all. Same mentality that Simon has here. Okay. Now, um, on the phone, is there somebody who wants to ask something that we haven't covered? And we just have about five minutes. Somebody on the phone? Uh, we have one here. Yes, go ahead. Is there a place for re receiving gifts at all, apart from Christmas, that is, that it's not a Christmas gift? No, I'd say on Christmas. <coughs> on Christmas. What's yes. that? Well, that, no, that's what we've been saying. We've been teaching the opposite the last hour. We've been saying, yeah. no, um, there's no place for it. So we should tell the people what we believe and if you do it beforehand, then you save the awkwardness of the moment. And then it will give you time in advance, when you say it in advance, to preach the gospel. Is that what you're asking? It's like 
we don't have the opportunity to share with everybody that uh, we all celebrate Christmas like you do, or just like a neighbor or something. Here's some good, or here's something for you guys to enjoy. Merry Christmas. Like, what do we say? I don't want your gifts. Get away from me. Or, you know what I'm saying? We can't predict if someone's going to bring it in every situation. Oh, yeah, you can't, but to the extent that you can, then you can say something. For example, if if they just put it on your doorstep and walk away with a note, you can't say anything. It's too late. Unless it's your next door neighbor, then you can walk over and start talking to him about what you believe. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah, that's good. Daniel given a ring. What who was it who interpreted a dream and he said no. Yes, yes, in the book of Daniel, yeah, Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 5, the king, he makes this promise for whoever will be able to interpret the the dream or the fingers of the man's hand on the wall, the writing on the wall. Five, seven, this is what the king says. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Then we go to... Verse 16, 516. Daniel is, um, he repeats it to Daniel. But I personally have heard about you, the king is explaining to Daniel. I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your, gifts to, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. Okay. Pastor Jackson, would you like to pray? Yes. And before you pray, um, Micah Travis, he's has immunotherapy this week, and he's not feeling very well. So pray that he's strengthened. His body's able to handle this therapy. Okay. Anything else? Yes. I was just gonna make a quick comment or conclusion comment that I have realized. 
when it's recently studying Christmas, um, is that once you get rid of all the worthless pagan traditions surrounding the holiday and get down to whatever we do, compromised by many Christians to say, well, that's fine because there's nothing wrong with it. Essentially all it is is everything that we already do in our church meetings when we meet is to read the Bible and study what whatever happens in the Bible and then to have fellowship and eat and drink with one another. So it's people don't understand that if you just live like a Christian, you have that already each week, throughout the week, yeah. with the brethren. It's simple. So there's no need for this. It's simple, straightforward. Yeah, yeah, there's no need. No need. Yeah, how many days? Uh, we could talk about the birth of Christ many times. We do already. And we already do. Yeah. And we believe in it more than they do. They deny the virgin birth of Christ. Everybody's celebrating it. It's ridiculous. It's, it's a mockery of the, the birth of Christ. They don't believe in the virgin birth. We do. Yes, thank you. That's good.